0: About 2,000 years back, on a Sunday like this, early in the morning, the first evangelistic message was given. He is risen, said the women when they ran back from the tomb. The tomb is empty. That was the words that were first spoken. Immediately after Jesus Christ rose from the dead, And the women went to look for him, to look for his dead body. The message they got was, he is risen. The tomb is empty. And that's the message they carried. I want you to turn to your neighbors. Walk around if you wish. Tell somebody, Jesus Christ is risen. Jesus Christ is not in that tomb. That tomb is empty. There needs to be joy in our faith as we say that. This is not a day of mourning. There is no mourning in, in the Christian faith. It's all about joy and victory. And we're going to take one more song. Jesus Christ is risen today. Shall we please stand as we take this?
1: Jesus Christ.
0: Virginia, and at one point he even became a mayor of that particular city in Virginia. Now at one point of time, he began a very thorough legal investigation into the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His starting premise was this question, how can any intelligent human being accept this resurrection story? After a thorough examination of all the evidence that he was able to analyze, he came away asking another question. How can any intelligent person deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And today we are all in that position of saying, how can we, how can you and I as intelligent person, how can we ever deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ? But let me ask you a question at this point. Is there anyone here who is absolutely confident that the resurrection story that's mentioned in the Gospels of the Bible is just a story? It's just a story so that we could meet once a year on on a Sunday like this. Is there anybody who has that opinion? All right, nobody has their opinion. That's great. So let me ask you a second question. How many of you truly believe the resurrection story as it is described in the Bible? Can I see your hands, please, if you do believe it? Good. Okay. Well, what does that tell me, standing here and looking right across all of you? Many of you raised your hands, but not all of you. Nobody raised a hand for the first part of the question, but for the second question, Many of you raised your hands, but not everyone raised their hands. So maybe there is somebody here who has an element of doubt. Let me hear the story again. And let me see if I can believe it now. Maybe some of you are thinking, I've heard this so many times. Okay, there is an element of truth in it, but it kind of stretches the imagination a little bit to assume that it happened exactly as it is described in the Bible. This message is essentially meant for those of you who doubt. But those of you who don't doubt, and those of you who are clear, this message is hopefully a reaffirmation of your faith. And so the title of this morning's message is simply this. The Weight of Evidence. The Weight of Evidence. Shall we pray? Father God, we just want to thank and praise you right now, Lord Father. Yes, Father God, you saw the sin in the world. You saw the dire situation that all of us were in. And you saw that we had no hope of saving ourselves. And Father God, in your love, out of the great compassion that you have for us, out of the great love that you had for us, you sent your only begotten Son. And you said, that's the way forward. I want my people saved. I want every person to be saved. And you said, my son shall die on that cross. And my son shall carry all the sins of all my people on that cross. And the penalty shall be paid. And my children shall live. My children shall live. That's what you said. And Father God, we are thankful. Father God, we just want to say thank you once again, Lord Father. Because you chose to look down on us. You chose to look upon us. You chose to say, I need to save these people. I need to give them a hope for the future. And Father God, today we stand here, today we sit here. We are a people of great hope, Lord Father, because of what you have done on that cross. We thank you, we praise you. Father God, even as we continue to meditate on your word, we pray, Lord, that you will minister unto us. Build us up, correct us where correction is needed. And strengthen our faith, Lord Father, we give all glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shall we turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 24 and I'll read verses 1 to 12. Luke 24 and I'll read verses 1 to 12. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb He is not here, but He is risen. Remember how He spoke to you when He was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered His words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling at himself at what had happened. Can you imagine the scene? just before this had taken place. A preacher once said, the longest day is the Saturday before Easter. The longest day is the Saturday before Easter Sunday. Now what did he mean by that? Between the apparent defeat of a dark Friday to the sure victory of a bright Sunday is a long Saturday Of frustration, doubt, despair and dejection. And the straight message that comes to us at this point is simply this. When we are going through the dark Fridays of our life, remember there is a bright Sunday to come forward. It will always come. But there still may be a long Saturday that you have to go through. But you just need to hold on, because the bright Sunday is going to dawn, as it dawned 2,000 years back. Think of Mary, the mother of Jesus. She would probably be despairing with the women around her, comforting her. She had lost her son. And maybe her mind would go back 33 years to something that she had heard from a man called Simeon. It is recorded in Luke chapter 2. Verses 34 and 35. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. This is what it says. Then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary. This is when Joseph and Mary had brought the child Jesus for a dedication in the temple. So Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, This child will be rejected by many in Israel and and it will be their undoing but he will be the greatest joy to many others. Thus, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your very soul. Three days earlier, as she saw her son being beaten, being nailed to a cross, have a crown of thorns put on his head, have his side pierced with a, with a spear. Every one of those actions would have been a pierce, a sword in her own soul. How many of you as mothers, as fathers, can see your child go through this? That would have been the thoughts of Mary at that point of time. This is what they did to my son. Now what about Peter and John and the other disciples? They had lost everything they lived for. For three years they had given up whatever they were used to doing. They had given up their job as tax collectors. They had given up their job as fishermen. They had given up whatever they were doing. And they were with the the Lord Jesus Christ. And suddenly he was dead. He was hanged on a cross. He was crucified, a painful, humiliating death. And they were associated with this man who has gone through a painful, humiliating death. Can you think of their situation? Their hopes were broken. Their dreams were shattered. Maybe a few years earlier, when Jesus fed the 5,000 and Remember, Jesus blessed the fish and the bread and he gave it to the disciples. And it was the disciples who went around giving the the bread and the fish. And the people received it from the disciples. And maybe at that point they were thinking, this is great. Now, I have my own ministry. I can call it my ministry because I am feeding the poor. I am feeding these people. I am feeding 5,000 people. They might have thought about that. But suddenly all their dreams have been shattered. Maybe they were thinking, like the two brothers, there will be a time when we can sit with the king as he sits on the throne and we will be his ministers. We will be, some of us on the right side and some of us on the left side. We would rule with him. We are the chosen twelve. Their dreams were shattered. Their beloved master was dead. Peter and other disciples had just gone through a long Saturday. It was indeed a very long Saturday for them. But then came Sunday morning and there was work to be done. The body of Jesus Christ had to be prepared with spices and fragrant oil. This was the job for the women and they came to the tomb early on Sunday morning. According to Mark 16 verse 3, the women had a question for each other. Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? They knew that the body of Jesus was put in a tomb and the door was closed. And historians tell us that apparently at that point of time when bodies are put inside rocks which have been hewn and caves have been made into these uh, rocks, The size of the door is approximately 4 feet. Okay, it would be approximately 4 feet. And therefore, if you needed to have a stone which would cover this 4 foot uh, door, that stone would weigh approximately 1 to 1.5 tons. It was not something that you could lightly push around like that. And they did not have oil and grease and uh, uh, wheels like some of our... Sofas and bureaus and other things have got that it could be pushed across very easily. They would have been thinking. They knew that they had to go and put the fragrant oil. They knew that they had to put spices on the body of Jesus. That was their task. And that was the custom. So they were going. But they were thinking and asking each other, Now who is going to roll away that stone, that massive stone? You see, the interesting thing about the stone being rolled away, because when they came close to the tomb, the women saw that the stone had been rolled away. They didn't know how that happened. That was surprise number one to them. But they saw that the stone was rolled away. But the interesting thing about that stone being rolled away is that it was not for Jesus to come out of the tomb. It was not the stone was not rolled away for Jesus to come out of the tomb. The stone was rolled away so that others could look inside. You doubt that? Turn with me to John twenty twenty six. And in John twenty twenty six it is written. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Jesus could go through a shut door or a stone slab. It didn't matter at all. That stone slab was not going to stop Jesus from coming out. So that stone being rolled away was not for Jesus to come out, But rather, it was for the women, for the men, for the soldiers, for others to go inside and see that the body was not there. What Jesus said has actually taken place. He said it, because now they would start remembering all those things. He said it. That had been prophesied. And it came to pass exactly as He said And then came surprise number two for the women. They came out wondering what happened, where is his body, and suddenly they see two angels standing there. And then the angels ask them a very crucial question, which is, I think, a question we need to ask each other, and we need to ask people outside. The question simply is this. Luke 24, 5 to 6. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. And then the women remembered his words. That was surprise number two for the women. So let's now try to put all of this evidence together and see how weighty it is. Let's do the job that Albert Roper did some time back. Number one, the prediction of his resurrection. Evidence that we have is the prediction of his resurrection. The Bible in many places right across the Old Testament prophesied of Jesus' death and of his resurrection. However, the clearest indication of what was to come came from Jesus Himself. And all I am going to do is I am just going to read out a few verses. They need no explanation. They are self-explanatory. Just read with me. Matthew chapter 16 verse 21. See, these are words of Jesus. And these were the words that the women were now remembering because this is what He said. Matthew 16 verse 21 From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Jesus had spoken to the people about this. Jesus had spoken to his disciples. Jesus had spoken to those close associates who were around him that he would have to go through this. He prepared the people. He never left them in a lurch. He never suddenly dropped them like hot potatoes. But he had been preparing them for this day. He knew this day would come. After all, he came for that day. He knew it, and so he was preparing his people. Matthew 17, verse 9. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, this is at the transfiguration, tell the vision to no man. Until the Son of Man be be risen again from the dead. So he's told them that the Son of Man will be risen from the dead. He didn't say, come and check and see if the Son of Man is risen. And if he has, then you can go ahead and tell the story. If he hasn't, keep it to yourself. No, he didn't say that. He said, just wait for the time till the Son of Man is risen and then go ahead and tell the story. Okay? Because He will be risen. That's what Jesus Christ said. There is no, uh, it's, these are definitive words. There is no question of doubt. There is no if in that particular place. Matthew 1722 to 23 And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men. And they shall kill him. And the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorrow. Uh, Sorry. Well, the people were exceeding sorry. Yes, his associates, his disciples were exceeding sorry. But the point they missed was that he would rise in three days. And he's telling them that. You see, his prediction was so clearly told by him. He was explaining it so beautifully to them. He was leaving the people in no doubt. Many people missed the point. Like we often do miss the point. Okay, but he was, he had mentioned it and now the women were remembering everything that had been told time past. Matthew 20, 18 to 19. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes and they shall condemn him to death. And shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. Again he repeats that on the third day he shall rise again. He's given them the time frame. He didn't leave things in, possibly there's a window of uh, resurrection. You know like when uh, NASA wants to fire off a rocket to the moon or Mars or wherever or uh, you know when the Indian Space Research Organization wants to fire off uh, a rocket, or uh, maybe when North Korea wants to fire off a rocket, they're looking for windows of opportunity to to fire it off. Is the weather right? Is the clouds right? Uh, is everything right? And then they'll shoot it up. Jesus said, there's no window here. Three days. You just wait three days. Th- third day, I'll be up again. He's given them a very clear time frame. So that's The evidence for the the prediction of his resurrection. Not going back through the whole scriptures, but just taking the words of Jesus to say that very clearly he's indicated at that particular point. And you see, he did exactly what he said he would do. And events unfolded in precisely the way Jesus described them. Everything that he said came to pass. There is no other series of predictions made anywhere in the world by anyone else on any other issue that has come to pass in the exact manner of its description. There are a lot of predictions which are vague. Just go and read Nostradamus' predictions. You could fit that into any circumstance. There are a whole bunch of predictions which are vague. But Jesus' predictions were not vague. There was clarity in the prediction. He said, This is what is going to happen. This is the way it's going to happen. These are the people who are going to be involved, and this is the time frame. And this is the end result. Mention that also. And everything that he said happened exactly the way he said it Jesus' death and resurrection were exact to the minutest details. Evidence number two, the proof of his resurrection. Jesus appeared to many people over the next 40 days. See, Jesus actually took time to remain here after his resurrection. He didn't go away straight away. He didn't uh, move out of sight, but he stayed there And he remained there he spoke to people he talked to them he walked with them he ate with them for 40 days he could have stayed on longer there's no issue on that but the issue would be the holy spirit can't come till he goes and he had promised us that when i go the holy spirit will come and the holy spirit will reside in you that was important that had to be fulfilled So Jesus had to go. Okay. He could have stayed longer. It would simply have meant that the Holy Spirit would have been accordingly delayed. Okay. But Jesus stayed for 40 days and he was seen by umpteen number of people. In John chapter 20, between verses 11 and 18, we read of Mary Magdalene's encounter with Jesus. She had a one-on-one encounter with Jesus, spoke to him. In Luke chapter 24, between verses 13 and 35, we read of the Emmaus Road experience, where Jesus walked and talked with two disciples. He explained what would happen. He sat with them at the table and broke bread with them. And then their eyes were opened. He spent time with them. In John 21, between verses 1 to 14, We read of Jesus having breakfast by the sea with a group of his disciples. The disciples were back to being fishermen. They did not know what to do. They said, okay, let's go fishing. That's the one thing we know how to do, so let's go fishing. So they went fishing, and they were fishing and didn't catch any fish. And suddenly they see this gentleman on the beach putting putting on a fire, a barbecue maybe. And then he says, put the net on the other side, and they bring out a whole bunch of fish. And he keeps the fish ready for them. Okay, and he ate with them. He talked with them. He discoursed with them at that particular point. And in 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 6, Paul writes of how Jesus was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Jesus was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Not a small group. A group bigger than what would fit into this hall. Large groups. So Jesus met people individually. Jesus met people in pairs. Jesus met people in small groups. Jesus met people in large groups. He gave every opportunity to be seen, to talk to people, to share with people, so that nobody could say later, Oh, it was only one person who saw. We can't believe that one person. You know Mary Magdalene. We can't believe her. You know the disciples, we can't believe them. That opportunity was lost. Because Jesus met different groups of people in different sizes to make sure that he was seen. He did not run away. He had risen from the dead and there he was. A final proof. Okay, let's go back one step. In Acts 1-3, to one Acts 1 verse 3, it is written, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. By many infallible proofs. And John writes that if it had to be written of everything that he did after his resurrection, the books of this world would not be enough to to put all those things in. So it was not a simple 40 days that he spent there. It was an active period of 40 days that he spent. And this is recorded. This is recorded by multiple people. A final proof of his resurrection, if more proof is ever needed, is the empty tomb. Even today you have uh, different groups of people who visit Israel. They visit different uh, sites, uh, This is the place where this thing happened, and this is the place where that thing happened, and then they are taken to an empty tomb. Am I right? Okay. And how many of you have been to Taj Mahal? I've been. How many of you know about Taj Mahal? Yeah, you all know. Okay. Taj Mahal is a tomb. Is it an empty tomb? It contains two bodies. And the Taj Mahal was built for one body and of course the second body came in later. But the bodies are there. Some of you might have visited Egypt. You have seen the pyramids. What are the pyramids? They are tombs. Are they empty? No. Right in the center are the pharaohs. Their bodies are still there. You want to go to Moscow? You can see the body of Lenin displayed for all to see. You go to London, Westminster Abbey. You want to see the tomb of Charles Darwin, the man who suggested that we came from monkeys? It's there. Westminster Abbey has got it. Is it an empty tomb? No, it isn't. It's a tomb filled with probably the bones now. The bones of all the, sorry, the bodies of all the famous kings of England and queens of England, the monarchs, are there in Westminster Abbey. So, all the famous tombs that we know about, wherever they are in the world, contain bodies. The one famous tomb which does not have a body is the tomb where the body of Jesus Christ was kept. It is an empty tomb. And that's the only empty tomb that we have. And that's the final evidence that we need. There is no tomb that can hold Jesus. There never was. There never is, there never will be. He is alive, He is risen, and that's the end of that story. Finally, the evidence number three. The present day evidence of His resurrection. And I'll just take two points. The Christian church, as we see it today, we are part of the church. The Christian church, now when it started, It started with a handful of people. Peter preached one day, and 3,000 people were added to the church. Sometime later, 5,000 people were added to the church, and the church grew that way. Today, the Christian church is 2.1 billion people strong. It's the largest religious group. Worldwide, out of a 7 billion world population, okay, 2.1 billion is the Christian Church. Would this be possible if we preached a dead God? Would it grow the way it has grown? Would it have been established as a, a premier way of worship? If we had been worshipping a dead God I doubt it because the Bible tells us that just like Jesus came and preached there were others who came and preached but they were forgotten when they died they were forgotten Jesus is never forgotten he's remembered more after his death than even during his life okay because of what he did on the cross he died He took our sins on that cross. He hung there a painful death. But three days later, he became victorious. You see, the greatest mistake Satan did was he took him to the cross. Had he not done that, he could still probably be arguing and saying, let's sort this out. But by taking him to the cross and assuming that by putting him there and killing him there, That's the end of Jesus Christ. Satan made the biggest mistake because that was the end of Satan. It was not the end of Jesus Christ. So, the Christian church is one present, the evidence that we have. But even more important than that, and even more crucial than that, is the changed lives of people. Many years back, The disciples ran away like cowards at the arrest of Jesus Christ. In just over a month's time, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, these same men became warriors for Christ. The Peter who denied Jesus was able to stand and confront the Sanhedrin, the leaders, everybody And he was able to work miracles. Every disciple who had run away. In Mark 14 we studied that all of them fled. But in Acts, all of them became warriors for Christ. That's the changed life. That's what resurrection meant to them at that particular point of time. How about you and me? How often have so many of us stood here and testified of the change that Christ has made in our lives. Was that a fact or was that fiction? Did you come up here? Did I come up here and say that Jesus Christ made a difference in my life so that, uh, you know, you would know who I am? Did you come up here so that people would recognize you you as somebody? No. You came up here, you stood here, you spoke, and you said that Jesus Christ made a difference in my life Because He actually made a difference in your life. You have a changed life because of Jesus Christ. I have a changed life because of Jesus Christ. Most of us here have changed lives because of Jesus Christ. Just look back what we were a few years back. And we would shudder to think where we would would be today if we were still like that. We are today a totally different people. We are entirely different because of what Christ did on that cross. And it is purely through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ that your life and my life has changed. The evidence of Jesus' death and resurrection is clear and sure. There is no doubt about that. Because Jesus is alive today, we have forgiveness of our sins of yesterday. Because Jesus is alive today, we have fellowship with God and fellowship with each other today. And because Jesus is alive today, we have hope and faith for our tomorrows. Let me conclude with this verse from John 11, 25-26, to where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's what Jesus asked. The verse ends with the word, do you believe this? That's what Jesus said. The question, some of you might be facing right now is simply this. How shall I respond to all of this evidence? I've heard it before. I've heard, I'm hearing it again. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And I think by simple English, not having life equals death. Okay? We don't need to look further than that. We don't need to look for metaphorical explanations. Is there anyone here who would like to invite Jesus, this resurrected Jesus, into your life? This morning, this is a good opportunity. We will be praying in a, in a few minutes time. This is a good opportunity as we celebrate his resurrection. For you to commit your life to the living Lord. Remember, the resurrection is a fact of history that demands a response of faith. In Romans 10, 9-10, we read these words. It is written... That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And again in verse 13 it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall we pray? Let's just close our eyes and take this time to thank the Lord. He's worked wonders in our life. And the greatest of it all is the fact that He gave His life so that you and I could have life. He died on the cross, but He rose again. We don't have to dwell on the fact that He died, because He died for a very specific purpose. And that was accomplished three days later when he rose up from the dead. Now with all our eyes closed and our heads bowed, I want to ask for those who want to give your lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you would like to give your Lord if you would like to give your life to Christ this morning, may I ask you to please stand up and we shall pray together. All eyes closed and heads bowed. But anybody who wishes to give your life to Jesus Christ, this is a resurrection day. Let it be a resurrection day in your own life. Let it be the day that life has come back into you. If this is the time that you choose, please do stand. Now, to those of you who are standing, I'm going to say a prayer and I want you to repeat it after me. We'll take it sentence by sentence. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I am sorry for the sins I have committed. I repent and ask for your forgiveness. Come into my heart and life and be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me eternal life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. In Jesus name. Amen. Will you please take your seat. As we close, let's take a final hymn i'll give it back to the choir please
1: Praise. shall we all arise as we sing this song all to jesus I surrender. Our Holy Spirit. They lift up our hands to a seven and say, I surrender. I surrender, I surrender, I oh. surrender.
2: I want us to turn that to prayer. I say, Jesus, I made this new commitment to you again. That my life belongs to you. Please go ahead and make that commitment again. You have sang it. Say to him, Lord, I commit all I have unto you. I have nothing on myself. My spirit, soul, and body belongs to you. I will be a living sacrifice unto you all the days of my life. Jesus, I surrender all to you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I want to pray this prayer. I say, Lord Jesus, make my life a living testimony of who you are. Please go ahead and pray that prayer. If you truly belong to Jesus, sin must not be found in you. Sickness must be far from you. Shame must be far from you. You must live a victorious life. Say, Jesus, make my life a living evidence of who you have. Please open your mouth and pray that prayer. So Today a unique day. You need to pray such a prayer. I want people to see me and see Jesus in me. I want them to see me and see Jesus in me. They saw the disciples. They saw Jesus in them. He said, this must be part of the... The people that belong to that man, Lord, make my life a living evidence of who you are. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Lord, this is our prayer this morning. I will surrender all unto you. I will say, Lord, make our life, our home, make everything about us, including our job, including our health, including the words that comes out of our mouth, including our lifestyle, our behavior. Let all be a living evidence of who you are in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. As we go, Lord, let your presence go with us in the name of Jesus. If you tarry by this time next year, where will and coming to celebrate Easter again will hope be alive, and in you. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. The grace together God and fellowship. By the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God. The sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Rest and abide with us now forevermore. Amen. Now before you, you say that, you turn to your neighbor and say that. And you say to you, mean it. You surely. turn to your neighbor and say that. Say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. And you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, ever. Amen. Now say it to yourself confidently. Say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.